encourage you please to turn in your, your Bibles to uh, Acts chapter 10. And as you get the passage, we will read. It's a, a long passage, but I think to get the meaning of it, we will have to, to read uh, the great bulk of it. Acts chapter 10, verse 1. It's the encounter between Cornelius and Peter. And it begins in a, a town or a city called Caesarea. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon... The following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is righteous and a God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate 
with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? And Cornelius answered, three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon, and suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. And he goes on to explain for the next number of verses the gospel as he tells them exactly what it is mean that Jesus has died and Jesus has raised and the import and the significance of that. And then we move down to verse 44. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. I'm praying that God would add his blessing upon his truth. Amen. When you're out on the roads driving, have you ever encountered the same people that I have? There's one who drives so incredibly slowly that that person is an idiot. (laughs) And then there's another person who overtakes you in a bad bend. He's a maniac. Who ever let that person out on the road? Have you met those pair? I think that's really, you're all nodding. I'm really quite astounded that you and I meet exactly the same people every time that we're all out on the roads, which is only reminding me of something, actually, which is a part and parcel of our human nature, our human characteristic, and it is simply this, that we all believe I'm right and you are wrong. And the only people who like change, because none of us like change, the only people who like change are babies with a stinking bum. And even that isn't an easy process without a lot of gurning and bother. So none of us like change. So when God actually at some times might interrupt us, as he did in this story to Peter, with a huge seismic shift of a change, we are not ready for it. But when we challenge ourselves looking at Peter, and this is the angle that I'm going to look at this passage this morning, how do we deal with that? How do we deal with that aspect of change when God is is sending and saying something very specifically to us? The context, as you read in this passage, is that this story is set in Caesarea, which is a a bustling uh, seaside port. 
In many ways, we could see that this is a strategic center. Should the gospel arrive in Caesarea, that this is, a, as a Roman garrison town, it is a, a very strategic place for the onward development and progress and enlargement of the kingdom of God. But there's more to Acts chapter 10 than just the fact that the gospel has arrived in a significant city. There's this man called Cornelius, who's one of the, the main two characters in the story. He is described as a centurion, which means he's responsible for anywhere between 300 and 600 soldiers. Other things that we might know about him from the story here is that he is someone who has actually turned away from the paganism of the Roman, uh, Roman citizens, all that they would have believed, and he has embraced so much of Judaism that he has encountered. And so he's a believer in the one true God. We also recognize in reading here that he's devout, he lives a good life, he's upright, and he's known for being devout and leading a good life. He gives to the poor, but what we also know about him is that he is not yet converted. He's not yet a Christian because he hasn't actually heard the gospel. He's praying to God, we can see that, but that doesn't mean that he's a Christian. So even though he's praying and he's seeking God, he is not yet a follower of God. There's one question I have immediately in this story, because you recognize that in this story, an angel has appeared in a dream, in a trance, whatever it is, to Cornelius. And then we need to ask ourselves the question, why now did God demand that the one who would actually speak the words of the gospel to Cornelius, isn't this angel? This angel could have done it perfectly well. I imagine the angel could have constructed the sentences, communicated the gospel, even added a little bit of theatrics. You know, an, an angel could get a light to shine up here and maybe even bring a, a little bit of a choir over here and could have done the job pretty well so that Cornelius understood what the gospel was really about. But rather, he was told to go and seek for somebody else called Peter, who at one time was called Simon. And I think the reason that we must deduce that why well, Simon Peter had to come is because God was going to work in Simon something, that he was going to work in his heart and teach him something even as he was speaking the gospel to Cornelius. So there was much that God was wanting to do in Peter's life. There was so much that would be in, in the future for him, but to do that, Peter's own heart had to be touched. And there was a work that God was wanting to do in Peter. And as James was maybe hinting to the kids earlier, there was so much here that was now going to change for Peter because everything that he had been brought up to believe was going to be put to one side. It's, it's as radical and as huge as that. Uh, let's think about the differences between the Jews and the Gentiles just for a moment. A Jew would never, ever go into the home of a Gentile. He would never ask a Gentile into his own house. They would never eat together. One of the rabbinical laws was that if 
a Jewish man or woman encountered a Gentile woman who was pregnant and, you were, and she was about to give birth, they were not to give her any assistance because that would only bring another Gentile into the world. In fact, the Jews believed that the only reason that the Gentiles were ever made by God is because God needed kindle for the flames of hell. And what better people to have to do that than these Gentiles? So those were the attitudes that Peter grew up with. And in the specifics of these food laws, there were certain things that you could eat, and there were certain things that you could never eat. And Peter, of course, would have followed all of those. I mean, look at verse 15. This is the the, the huge shift here. In verse 15, it says, The voice spoke to Peter a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has now made clean. And that's why Peter is in complete shock when he was described, his response to that is in verse 14. He says, surely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean because everything that Peter had experienced in his religious upbringing was telling him, you do not do this. This will never happen. You will never do this. Everything from Peter, Peter's earliest days, when the scrolls were opened up in the synagogue, and whenever they were taught about God, what they knew is that you could not eat certain animals. You could not touch certain foods or deal with certain people. So this is the nature of this huge change that's now coming into Peter's life. And the angle that I'm going to try and take at for this passage this morning is just thinking about what it might be if God was going to come to us, and maybe God is coming to you in a certain and a unique way, and he's challenging you, and he's teaching you, and he's trying to lead you on in in some way. What we are thankful for and what Peter experienced in this story is, of course, that at time God teaches you slowly. That's a vital lesson because when something is such a huge change for us, we don't take to it easily. That's why in this story, whenever this change was so significant, the message didn't come to Peter once or twice but it came three times. Get up, kill, and eat. And don't call anything unclean that God has now declared as clean. And that's the way God works with us, thankfully. He deals with us patiently, and he deals with us slowly. And none of us are the finished article. And we shouldn't be giving up with God because we have a long way to go. When I think about Peter... I realize just how like Peter I really am and how like Peter you really are. And God knew that Peter was a real mixture and that Peter was complicated, we might say. He had a lot of good and a lot of bad, but God could still see what was in Peter and he could still use Peter for his kingdom. And if God can do that in Peter, he can do that in you. Because just like Peter, me, you, we're, we're capable of wonderful acts of devotion and we want to honor God and we want to follow God and we want to do what's right. But at the same time, we're also capable of the most terrible failure in terms of following God. We're sincere and, and we want to put God first, 
But at the same time, we fall flat on our faces. We're, we're slow to learn at times, but we're quick to forget. At times, we're bold in faith. And at other times, we embarrass ourselves that we're so bad. We are mixed up people. But let's not forget that God can work in us in the same way that he worked in Peter. We may not be perfect, but what God looks for in people and what, we, what he evidently got in Peter was someone who was teachable and leadable and someone who was willing to listen to the nudgings and the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And this is the key for us, for you. Whenever you are thinking about this, Ask yourself the question, are you genuinely wanting to be used by God? Wherever you are, whatever it is that you're involved in, wherever you are and what you're doing, do you want, to, do you want God to use you in the midst of that? Because if that's the case, you will want to hear from God. You will want to hear God speaking to you and telling you what that is. And positively, we, we can see that in Peter. If I take you down to verse 17, because whenever Peter saw this vision, he then thought and reflected on it. He, he deeply wanted to know. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found his house. Actually, he was thinking about this so deeply that he didn't even hear them outside shouting his name. Because as we read on into verse 18, they called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, three men are downstairs, downstairs and they're shouting your name. Go down, go with them. And then some of the most remarkable verses then. Because Peter has now heard what God is saying to him. And he has experience what we might call the nudgings and the promptings of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says, do this. And then we read verse 23. Then, and recognize just how difficult this was for Peter, because this is a huge change, the first time ever. In verse 23, then Peter invited the men into his house to be his guests. And then later on, down at verse 29, now that Peter has gone to Cornelius' house in verse 29, we read, so when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. So here, I think what we see in Peter is someone who was willing, someone who was teachable, someone who was leadable, even when it required a huge change in his outlook. But what I do want to say as I think about this huge change in Peter's life is that it didn't come out of nowhere. Because God would have been laying the groundwork in Peter's own life. He would have been readying him so that it's not all, and it's all of a sudden in some sense, but God has been getting him ready. And that's what I do believe, and I see this in this passage. And the second point is that God always prepares you for what's going to come next. And the reason that I think I can say that in this passage is because when you look away back at verse 6, 
there's a little phrase in there which you might actually overlook because you don't think it's of much significance. But you look at the house in which Peter is now staying, and it's described as the home of Simon the Tanner. And what the tanners work with? Tanners work with dead animals. And if you work with dead animals, the one thing that you can't be doing is worshiping in the temple. So already Peter is in a place where he's, as it were, pushing at the boundaries of things. He's at the, he's at the edge. And in many ways, we can see that it's, it's like a gradual step of how God had been preparing him, that what was once deeply unclean, God is readying him and pushing him and getting him ready for the next stage. In just a, a couple of weeks past, I was taking part in a panel event in our college and talking to students for the ministry about their expectations for the future. And one of the things, I mean, I think I said, we said a lot of stuff, but one of the things that I believe I said was that I personally am amazed when I look in my own life and when I look at the lives of other people that you can see how God uses experiences that you have gained in one situation so that when another thing happens in your life that you're more ready to do that. So you have learned things in the past that God has used either in the present or that he will continue to use in the future and that what God has been doing is that God has been enabling you to get those experiences so that he can use you in a new way in the future. And yet, you may not even know that God has been doing that. Peter would not have been aware that God had been preparing him in this sense. But it's only when he looks back, he can see what God had already left in store and that what he had learnt and what he was able to do. And probably when we are in that moment, when we're in that other place, we're sitting there and we're thinking to, him, to ourselves, why am I here? Why has this happened to me? What will I ever learn in this moment? And yet it's quite amazing how God uses those experiences so that he has readied you for the next stage of your life. Now let's think and make that practical for a couple of ways. If there's someone here and you are thinking about some aspect of Christian ministry that you actually could be involved and that God could be calling you into that, then I would expect to see that somewhere along the road, God has been laying that burden upon your heart and he has been giving you opportunities of how you might be speaking the gospel and sharing the gospel. And you've learned something about that that God will be able to use in the future. And that's just one way. Or another situation, maybe a lot more practical for the majority of you, if you have been with a friend of yours in the past, who has gone through the bleakest and the darkest and the saddest of situations, and you have been with your friend through those days, and you have sat with your friend, and you have spoken to your friend, and you have prayed with your friend through that, or there's been some situation in your own life which has been really difficult and really challenging, and you don't like it one bit, but you have learned something through it, you will find that in the next stage of your life that God is being able to use these things because he's wanting to do something. So God has been and he always is preparing you for what is coming next. And that's part of God's big picture of how God organizes and sorts things in life. 
Now, as I've, I preached this passage about 20 years ago here, um, and when I did it on that occasion, I went in a completely different direction. Um, and that occasion, it was all about maybe even the, the cultural and the religious barriers that uh, Peter has crossed in this moment because he, he, is, he knows and, and understands that the gospel is much bigger than our cultural and our religious background, and we should be people who want to share that and be unafra- unafraid and boldly go out and to realize that the gospel is the only thing that really counts, and we need to take that and go with that. And yes, that is all there, but I don't really have time to unpack any more of that today, but I want to keep with where I've been going with this and just thinking about the plan that God has for your life and how God has been working in your life and how God has been readying you for the future and maybe even giving you experiences for what lie ahead. The other thing that I'm going to bring out of this passage this morning is what I've simply described is that in life, there may be times when God actually invites you to play catch-up. In other words, to give you time to catch up with what he's already doing. Because most of our problem, most of our problem in church is actually that we are not catching up with where God is already working. You know, we have a a lot of things to do in church. Maybe even at the minute we're thinking about how we get church back to as normal situation as we possibly can. We have a a lot of plans, we have a lot of thought about how we might do that. But actually, the one thing that we're not terribly good at is actually discerning the leading of the Spirit of God. But at the same time, we have all these thoughts and we have all these plans and we have all these things that we now want God to bless. Actually, I think that what we do is put the whole thing back to front. Because what we should be doing, rather than just saying, here's an idea, God, we want you to bless that, we want to think, where is God leading us? And here's an idea that might enable that. Is that not a proper way? And yet when we sit down to pray so often, what we pray is things like, it's important to bring the Lord into this situation right now. And it's almost as if we're already saying, we've got the ideas, we know what we want to do, and what we need now to happen is God to bless the thoughts and the ideas and the plans that we have now. Now, I know it's well-intentioned, and I know what you're saying when you do that, and when I do that, but at times, we just need to reflect that actually God is going ahead, and God is telling us this is where we should be going, this is what we should be doing. Because as we reflect upon this passage, let's not think that Peter was the one who did it all. You know, whenever Peter got to Cornelius' home and Peter began to explain the gospel, to tell Cornelius and all who were there about Jesus, let's not forget where this story actually began because it begins by telling us that God was already there. Before Cornelius opened the door to Peter, two or three days earlier, God had already come in to Cornelius' house and into his life. And if we are engaged in the work of the kingdom today, let's not forget that we do not start, if I might call it, at ground zero or level. It's not simply with us. 
It's because God has already been working and moving. God is always ahead of us. God is always the church planter and God is always the evangelist. And he's always ahead of us and he's always bringing us into what he's doing. So again, to make that practical, maybe there's someone that you're praying for. There's someone at work and you are praying that you might have a gospel conversation with that person. Maybe there's some people would describe this as a divine opportunity that you might have that moment where you are able to say something about Jesus and something about church and you're praying for that. Let's not forget that God has already been there because that person, you never know, has, they've had a granny who's been praying for years that they would be converted and that they would be saved. And the day that you actually get to speak to that person, you are speaking to that person because their granny has been praying for that moment. And maybe even when you speak to that person, before they got to work that day, they were stuck in a traffic jam, and the vehicle in front of them was a bus, and on the back of that bus was a Bible text, and as they read that Bible text, they were transported back in their memory and their minds to a childhood memory where they heard something in, in church or in Sunday school and they were reminded about what God had been doing and what God has done for their life because God is already there and what God invites us to do is to catch up with what he's already been doing. See, that's your life. It's not simply you. It's not simply your plans or what you get up to, but God has already been there. And when we are teachable, and when we are leadable, and when we are open to the leadings and the promptings and the nudgings of the Holy Spirit, look what happens. Look with me at verse 39, because Peter now begins to teach the gospel. We are witnesses of everything that Jesus did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. And verse 43, all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And so now this good, honorable, upright gentleman, Cornelius, a man who was regarded as righteous, a man who was a decent, upright fellow and did all the right things but was not a Christian, he now sees that he needs Jesus. And he understands that the only way to be right with God is to accept the free offer of grace and forgiveness that is contained in the gospel of Jesus Christ because he understands why Jesus died on the cross and what it means for him. And even more significantly, because of what Peter has done in following those leadings, verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. And that's why we want to be open to what the Spirit of God is doing in our hearts and lives. Because the gospel is first. And we want people to experience new life in Jesus. And where God is working, that's where we want to go.
Let's pray together. Lord, open our hearts and our ears and our minds and our eyes that we might not only hear about you but see you. To be so aware of your presence that we know that you are in whatever it is that we're doing. Lord, forgive us when this is not uppermost and paramount in our hearts and lives. When we get preoccupied with other things and other things push out your importance in our lives. Forgive us and cleanse us, Lord. Give us true priorities. Lord, we want to follow and we want to know and experience your leading in life, recognizing that you are going ahead of us. You're showing us clearly what you want us as a church and as individual believers to be doing. Lord, may we be sensitive to your spirit. Amen.